Hola amigos, ¿qué tal? Bienvenidos a Pláticas con Cameron. Me llamo Cameron Kelly. Hi friends, my name is Cameron Kelly. In today's episode, we're going to continue with Parte 2. If you have not heard anything about Parte 1 con Kelsey, I have a podcast already out with Kelsey and we basically are talking about racismo en la iglesia. So we're just talking about racism in the church. If you have not checked that out, go check that out before you hear this part of it because we're just going to continue right into it. And it is so good and so packed full of information. So I'm excited for y'all to hear this. Gracias por todo. Thank you so much for all the people who are listening, but I hope you enjoy this episode. See you soon. And then Kelsey, I have another question for you. So you are an advocate on Instagram, on Facebook about racial <laughs> injustice. So do you feel like you have to keep posting for an image or do you feel like you truly want things to change? Oh yeah. So if I if I was posting for an image, I would be doing a really bad job because yeah. Actually, posting about racism, I mean, obviously it's been good and I'm going to keep doing it, but I mean, people that I've like known for a long time that have like, I've always trusted and loved and looked up to have like called me names, have called me too liberal, have called me believing in a different gospel, people who also call themselves Christians. Um, and it started some, yeah, I've gotten in some, some heated conversations. And so I definitely am not posting for an image because I don't think I'd be posting anything like that uh, because it makes a lot of people mad. And which isn't my, my goal is not to make people mad either, obviously. My goal is to start conversations. Um, but yes, I'm definitely going to keep, keep posting. I think, I don't think that's like the answer for, for like, if you want to be an advocate post on Instagram, I don't think that's the answer at all. Um, <laughs> but I've gotten a lot more positive feedback than I have negative feedback in a way of like, oh, I, I like read this book because I saw you read it or like, do you have any other recommendations? I've seen you posting this or I've actually learned about racism because of this link that you shared or this post that you shared again, none of it's my content. I literally repost so much. And I genuinely think, I think it's helpful to people. Like is actually why I do it. Because I don't think, I think that's like a, a part of, of pursuing racial justice for a lot of people. I don't think everybody's necessarily called to do that. But I, I also think it's just been really helpful because I learn a ton a ton from social media about this topic and appreciate a lot of what people post and will say about this topic. And I respond really well. And so to that, and so I want to push others towards that, that same response and give them kind of those same resources that are helping me, if that makes sense. So actually to answer your earlier question, a big part of my learning actually has happened on Instagram, which I know is kind of lame and like so millennial of me, but no, it's like because that helps me too kelsey i feel like there is so yeah. much on there yeah no no but no it's totally not millennial of you at all like kelsey that is all of the tea like and there's so many like good actual sources like people who have been experiencing things and they post yes. their lives on instagram you know and yes. you're getting the full experience of who this person is and like what they have been through or just people just stating facts and coming together and writing docs out about things cute fun yes. pictures with quotes about actual things happening there's so much on social media yes and so actually that gives me one more thought um 
so a lot of white people will see on social media like don't ask your black friends uh, all these questions and expect to learn from them and then this white white people's response this was totally my response too um i'm not above this is like well if i can't ask my black friends like how am i supposed to learn like i like i'm not going to know anything but it's like that's where social media comes in there are so many people i think a ton of black people a ton of people of color and a ton of white people who are passionate about this who have resources out there for you to to learn from and to to create these advocates and allies like that you can access a lot of times for free and a lot of times to just comp like compensate them for their work and you know and so i just don't think that that we are that me as a white person i i have no excuse i have areas to learn i'm just choosing not to you kind of mentioned how you've had hard uncomfortable conversations with people like of like from the church or christians about racism like how hard is it for you as a white person to have these conversations at the topic like you have kind of mentioned it before about yourself like this was never like fully addressed to you about racial injustice and like issues in the world so is it really really hard for you now trying to understand everything and explain it to someone else so it, it really depends on the person and where they're at in their journey so if it's somebody who like really wants to learn and is really open sure i mean obviously it's pretty easy um but if it's someone who's arguing with me i okay so like i said i'm still learning i'm still in my own journey and i wrestle with a lot of anger and i feel like i'm like in a huge like anger phase of my life where i, I really it's hard for me to control my anger which i'm working on trying to bring before the Lord continually. However, um, I get really angry <laughs> with people and which is not good. And so that makes it harder for me to engage. Um, however, because I'm white and because I don't have racial trauma, I really don't have an excuse or a reason to turn away a conversation. I mean, unless it's like not helpful. If like this person just wants to argue, clearly it's not helpful and I don't need to continually engage with them. However, there's times where like I'm arguing with people or I mean in a good way, maybe good arguing with people and I'm like, I'm exhausted. I just want to tune out. I'm just so angry. I can't control my anger. Like, I, I don't think that's a reason for me to tune out of a conversation um, because I'm white and I don't have I don't have the trauma. It doesn't trigger me in ways that it triggers people of color. And so I want to steward my privilege in the way of having these hard conversations because I can. And it doesn't take an, as an emotional toll on me as it does to people of color. And so I actually have a quote that I wanna read kind of about privilege because I've mentioned it a couple times. So I'm reading from a book called Insider Outsider by Brian Loritz. And actually the little subtitle is My Journey as a Stranger in White Evangelicalism and My Hope for Us All. He's a black Christian man. And yeah, he writes about his experience in the white church and it's phenomenal. I mean, I learned a ton from this book. I could not recommend it enough. You could definitely borrow it from me. So he is talking about privilege in this chapter. And one of the quotes, it says, Privilege is never the problem. It's the stewardship of privilege that's the issue. Just ask Jesus. No one came into this world more privileged than Jesus, the one and only Son of God. 
I'm grateful he leveraged his privilege for my good. And so I think like, I know I used to get caught up on a lot. I think a lot of white people get caught up on, well, like I don't have privilege or like, oh, I just feel really guilty about my privilege. It's icky. And I'm like, okay, well, you're white. You can't change that. And God made you white. So it's a good thing. I don't want you to feel guilty for your ethnicity. Well, white's not an ethnicity, but you know what I mean. And yes. Um, it really is the stewardship of that privilege. And so in these moments where I'm having these conversations with, with white people where it's difficult um, to engage because maybe they're not that open or maybe they're telling me, they're calling me names, they tell me I'm too liberal, I'm believing different gospel, these things like, like I need to remember, like it is about how I steward my privilege. And I just don't think that like getting angry and walking away, which I have done multiple times, I just don't think that for me in my life, I don't think that that's how I am called to steward my privilege right now. Wow, Kelsey, Kim, that was good. Oh my goodness. That is like a good outlook to look at it, how Jesus literally used his privilege for all of us, like literally dying for our sins. That is, he, oh my goodness, Kelsey, I haven't thought of it in that perspective at all, ever. So that was just like a good quote. I love that quote, Kelsey. <laughs> that's good. I definitely want to borrow that book. <laughs> You're right. It is all about using your privilege to help other people. <laughs> Even if you feel like, wow, like, and I think what you said too was trauma. And that's the thing. And sometimes it's hard for me to talk about it because of my own trauma and like wanting someone else to understand that. But it's like, you don't understand it unless you have been through or directly affected by racism or been treated in an unwelcome way. Like you don't exactly know how that feels. And I think that was the word that you used was trauma. And that is so true that maybe that not having the trauma doesn't impact you to a degree of trying to make someone understand something. That is so good, Kelsey, I love it. <laughs> what can white Christians do to make minorities or black people or just people of color as a whole feel welcomed in the church? That's a good question. I think there's a lot of answers. I think two or three that come to my mind right away. And please comment, Kim, on, on these, um, on your thoughts on these. I think the first one is, don't be afraid to acknowledge their ethnicity and don't be afraid to acknowledge racism and acknowledge that as a deep evil of the church. I know from my experience in the white church and my own mindset that I'm unlearning is it's better if you just don't talk about it because then it's like it didn't happen or, you know, I, I don't want to bring these things up because I don't want to make it worse. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, like, like think it has to be knowledge. Like, like if like a husband is like beating her, his wife for like years and years and years. And then like one day, like the husband just stops, never beats her again, but never talks about it. Like that's not real resolution or mm -hmm. like, um, repentance or like that woman is not going to feel safe or loved or wanted there right? Like right. he has to acknowledge, repent and do something about it to make sure it doesn't happen again. And so I think the same goes for the church. I think another big, a big thing, and this isn't super tangible, so I can expand, I guess. And, and you can comment on this too, but the church uh, should be unified, not uniformed. And so like we are called to have unity, but we're not called to uniformity. Like we are not called to all look the same, act the same. And I think um, what I've heard, I think Cam, some from you and some from other um, black people who have stepped into to white evangelical spaces 
is like, well, I, I was expected to talk, to talk like these people and, Mm -hmm. and look, look and dress more like white people. I was expected not to lift my hands in worship. I was expected to, to just stand and sing and not move or, um, I was not expected, uh, I, I was expected to not talk about the Holy Spirit or I don't know, like some, some form of, okay, you're, you're in this white space and now act white if you want to be accepted. And I don't think that's exclusive to the church, but I think it's a huge problem in the church. And so I think if we want to be inclusive to people of color and people who, who don't look even or even act like us, like we need to allow uh the space and the freedom for people to come into our church and be who they are i I don't think that it it is i mean i know that's not a super tangible tangible thing but i mean i think even having that mindset can you can start decolonizing your church with that mindset Um, there is a really good article called decolonized discipleship by a black woman theologian called akenemy iwan I don't know if I'm saying her last name right, but her first name is Akenemy. And she writes a ton about how the church has been colonized and how how, uh, her experience as a black woman in the church. And I would really recommend that article, maybe starting with it, just Google it, it'll come up. She has a whole website. She's awesome, really follow her on Instagram too. She's on Instagram at Sista Theology. Okay, so two paragraphs from this article called Decolonized Discipleship. It says black women in particular bear the brunt of the last message, finding themselves located on a continuum of objectification, facilitating between hypervisibility and invisibility. Hypervisibility maps onto black women with regard to the commodification of their bodies, stereotypes about hypersexuality, mannerisms, speech, and the infamous angry black woman trope. These false notions that fuel hypervisibility Black women experience also create the precondition for invisibility, which is a form of exile. And this is all talking about within the church. Black women in their individuality are rendered invisible precisely because they are too visible within their white evangelical or multi-ethnic church context. All that is perceived of them are the fictitious characterizations projected onto them regarding their personhood. One way this manifests itself in the church is the onslaught of biblical manhood and womanhood teachings. These teachings are extra biblical and center on white middle upper class norms, communicating to male singles that they should look for, desire, and pursue a marriage partner who embodies the characteristics of a biblical woman. As a consequence of this legalistic teaching, black women are implicitly taught to assimilate and aspire towards whiteness. Black women within white and multi-ethnic church spaces are systematically eliminated from the marriageability pool rendered invisible by their black and non-black male counterparts because they do not fit the white middle-class profile of a biblical woman. And so again, I think these two paragraphs just highlight how whiteness is centered in the white church. And it's not even like, oh, but, but most people are white, so why would whiteness not be centered? A, white is not an, and is not an ethnicity. And, and B, if we want to be inclusive, why would we center one type of person? And so th- these paragraphs in particular highlighted the way that Black women feel invisible or hyper-visible in, in the white church. And 
Okay, I have so much more on that. But the third thing uh, is representation. I think if we wanna make black people feel welcome in a white church, they need to see themselves in leadership. They need to see themselves from the pulpit in the, during worship, serving communion, like representation matters. And, and that is something that I think the church has missed. And I know that because I missed it too. Kelsey, those were some great thoughts. Like, I really agree with those. I really agree with the unity instead of uniform, because I think that is the main issue that we are supposed to conform to other people and like the ways that other people do things, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we sing, even in church, like it's, a, we all have different ways that we express the Lord, but I, that does feel like a restriction to minorities or people who are black that they can't act a certain way in a certain white space when they are rejoicing to the Lord. Um, and I think that is so true, Kelsey, just so true, because the Lord calls for all of us to be different. He made us different for a reason, and we're just supposed to come together as the church. We're not supposed to come together to change ourselves to be a church. We should come together the way we are, because the Lord asks us to come as we are. And I think that's a big thing. And another thing, too, Kelsey, that you mentioned was, oh, the like your ethnicity. Your ethnicity matters, and it's don't make it the elephant in the room. And we kind of talked about that before too, Kelsey, that like people kind of like want to avoid who you are as a person and just, you know, and the way the Lord created us for a reason as the way we are. So we shouldn't skip over who the person is as a person, just so we don't have to deal with the awkwardness or racism as a whole. If you truly love that person, you're going to get to know that person for who they are. So I totally think that those are, I know you said like they aren't tangible things, but we have to change our minds, our mindsets and the way that we're doing things. And then it becomes a tangible thing. But Kelsey, I totally agree with all of those things. And like, like you said, there's so much work, so much to do. And there's so many ways to think about this and so many perspective leadership in church. Like they're singing, like what songs are we singing in church? How can we include other cultures into that? So yeah, there's so many things, Kelsey. And like, those are really good three ways and topics that we can move forward to. And those are also good topics too, to talk about, you know, like each one, like there's so much info in them, Kelsey. But I think black communities are truly forgiving community. I feel like a lot of them have went through so much. Even me as a black person has went through things and traumas as well, but they're truly forgiving and they know what it's like to feel unwelcome. And we as black people won't want other people to feel unwelcome. At least I do. And I know my family and other black individuals too do not want other people to feel unwelcome coming to churches. And I feel happy that people are recognizing that there is racism within the church, um, but we all have to be better as people, all of us. Like it's not one person or white people, like it's black people white people, Asian people, like it's so many people that have to work together in order for us to be unified, Kelsey, not uniform, but unified. Um, but Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on my show today. But I want to just ask you, do you have any last thoughts? Or do you want to leave my audience with anything? Or do you want to shout out people? Anything? Yeah, I would love to shout out uh, all the black women in my life. I love you. And I see you and, and I, want, I want to do better. I want to do better for, for the next generation. I want to do better because you are made in the image of God and the world just does not know that and does not think that. And so for all, for all of my black friends who have been in a white space and felt unheard, unloved, unknown, rejected, and any, anything other than and totally embraced, a holy, soulful embrace. Like, yeah, I am so sorry. Like, I, I am so sorry on behalf of myself, on the behalf of 
of my church, of, of the big church as a whole. Yeah, just corporately, I, I am so sorry. I, yeah, just come humbly before you. you have a lot to learn. And I appreciate you all my life, and especially you, Cam. I'm making a heart with my hands right now. I'm gonna make a heart back, Kels. Love you so much, and thank you so much for coming on my show today. I literally want you to come back because I feel like you just got so much to say, and I'm here for it, girl. <laughs> so, Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me, and I'm excited to continue this podcast with y'all. I don't know what time of day you'll be hearing this, but I hope you have a great day, month, week, or weekend. Esto ha sido Pláticas con Kevin Kelly. Hasta la vista, babies. Bye.